Hey, this is Philip Craig here. I'm the pastor of Aria Church. This is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this empowers you. I hope it fuels your faith and I hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. Well, um, excited about the message today. Thank you for tuning in online, on YouTube, on Facebook, um, and maybe listening to this later on in the week on Spotify, iTunes, whatever that might be. Uh, SoundCloud, so many I can barely remember them all. But we, we just started a series last week called The Great Reset, and really it's a series about the topic of prayer and fasting and explaining a little bit about that. But really, more than anything, it's not about just learning stuff, it's about truly experiencing God's best in our lives. And, and prayer and fasting is just another way that we see all throughout the scripture that people have done to try and align themselves with God's heart and what he wants to do. So last week we talked about, um, in the first part, we took all of this out of Matthew 6, and it says, uh, our first point was guard the fire of devotion in your heart. Don't let pain cause you to shrink back, which is so easy done. Um, Number three, to come awake, you must take off your covers. Take off your old ways of thinking, your old life. And uh, that's how God allows us to see clearly We've got to let go of our past. Um, and so today I want to talk to you a little bit about the goodness of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you that your goodness is all around us despite the dysfunctionality of the world in which we live, despite our limited abilities. And we just pray, Father, that you would come and reveal to us, open our eyes, bring light into dark situations of our heart. And help us to see you clearly in these moments. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, and all 10 people in the room said, and all hundreds of people online said, emoji, some fire, emoji, heart, emoji, prayer, do something, please. Do something. So we learned last week that passionate Christianity should be the norm and not the exception. It was never supposed to be this kind of go through the motions. It was never supposed to be this have to. You never were supposed to have to go to church. You never, you never were supposed to have to read your Bible. You, ne- you never were supposed to have to pray. It was actually designed in such a way that you wanted to do it, that it's actually contagious, that it's actually enjoyable. Can you believe that? Actually, church, God, God was supposed to be enjoyable. God has created you in his own image, and he actually likes to have a little bit of fun now and again. He likes to have joy in our spirit. Why? Because he's the, he gives us that. He's the provider of it. He supplies it, so, so he wants us to have it. And I was talking to a friend of mine. He's actually a pastor, preacher, evangelist. And we got talking online last night, would you believe, on Instagram. That's how you talk these days. Um, and it just, so came, it just so happened he supported a team by the name of Nord City. And North City were playing a team by the name of Manchester United. And he was explaining to me, uh, to be honest, I have no love for Norwich or United, if I'm honest. There's no love, no connection there. A few friends that love them, but I don't really care too much, if I'm honest. Don't lose any sleep. If either team lose, win, draw, whatever, go bankrupt, I don't really care. Sorry. Um, but this guy is completely different. He loves North City for whatever reason. I don't know how that came about. Who on earth supports Nord City? But he does. 
And I, I just mentioned the topic of football in North City came up. And it didn't just come up. He started to tell me all about who they were about to play this weekend. He started to tell me all about um, the team that they were fielding. Uh, they were actually, in his words, they were fielding a youth team. And they still only got beat 1-0 by United. So that tells you how bad United are. Uh, and so he starts going on and on and on. And I, I'm questioning, why is this guy so passionate about this team? Well, it's because he loves Norris City. It's because he loves this team. And actually, the word, he's a fan. The word fan actually means enthusiastic follower. And this is what I realized about my friend who supports Norris City, is I realized that no one's telling him, hey, um, can you please read a chapter a day about Norris City? <laughs> no one's telling him that. And he doesn't read up on what players have been transferred and how much money the club are in debt. Or he doesn't uh, look at how, how uh, many people their ground can hold in attendance. He doesn't look at where they are in the league table. He doesn't look at their history, the history of Norwich City, because somebody's guilting him into doing it. He doesn't talk about Norwich City. I didn't have to encourage him very much before he wanted to have a discussion about Norwich City because he's a fan, because he's a follower. And he's very enthusiastic. But sometimes in our lives, if we're honest, can we be honest right now? If we're honest, we treat Christianity, we treat following Jesus, a fan of Jesus, as if, oh, oh I've got, that's a have to. I've, oh, I've got to do my chapter today. I've got to do my prayer now. Oh, I've got to go to church online in person. I've got to go to connect group. Ugh, so heavy. But my question is, what is the difference? Why is my friend so passionate, a fan of this football team? He does research about them. He invests in them. He has direct debits coming out of his bank account to buy tickets for them, to support them. He's probably even praying for them to win. And he's doing it voluntarily. It's actually not even a question. It's not even in doubt. It's not even a wait for him. He, he can't wait to go to the game. He can't wait to talk about the name of his football team. He can't wait to find other like-minded followers of this team. He can't wait to do more research and give suggestions of what players they should buy in order to further the mission of North City. He just can't wait. There's passion on the inside. He's connected to something that sometimes us as followers of Christ aren't. He's connected to something. There's some sort of bond, some sort of connection between his heart and this team that sometimes people in the church and us as the followers of Christ do not have. And the question is, what, what is it? What, what are we missing at times? What holds us back? See, number one, an enthusiastic follower is normal. To be an enthusiastic follower of Christ is the norm. It's not an exception. It's normal. It's normal behavior. 
to want to be in God's presence. It's normal behavior to yearn to hear what he's doing on the earth today. It's normal behavior to want to go and seek out other fans and other followers. It's normal behavior to get excited about going to church online or in person. It's normal behavior to enjoy God's presence and the power that he provides for us on the inside. It's normal to get excited. Can I get an amen? Oh, some people don't understand it's normal. It's normal. It's not a have to. It's normal. See, Jesus didn't actually come just to be in a building. Because when we believe that Jesus just came to be in a building, we believe that Jesus is only present in a certain type of building, right? But actually, Jesus, the only building that Jesus comes to and lives in is the temple that lives in our heart. And that temple that lives in our heart goes everywhere our feet go. And everywhere our hands go, the temple comes with us. So it's not a physical building on the outside. It's a spiritual building on the inside. And so that means wherever we are on the earth, wherever we stand, whatever job we find ourselves in, whatever relationship we find ourselves in, the presence of God is available in those moments, in those times. And I feel like one of the things that I have and and I've seen that believers lose so much sight of is we sometimes think if we can just get a better system, then we'll sin less. If we can talk about sin more, the, the problem will go away. If we, and sometimes that's what we do. We go to connect groups, we go to church, and we hear about sin problems and as if we didn't know there was a sin problem in the world today, as if we didn't know we had issues in our own life. A lot of us, if we're honest, we're all aware that there's a sin problem that we're selfish, we're all aware that we have an attractiveness, a laziness, a comfort towards doing it our way. And when we follow Jesus, we're actually saying, no, I'm going to do it his way. I'm going to trust in him, but there's something that gets in the way. There's a spanner that gets in the works that causes us to fall into systems instead of a savior. It causes us to fall into this reduced level, this non-passionate form of, of being a follower that certainly wouldn't convince anyone that you're a fan. It certainly wouldn't convince anyone close to you or from far that you actually truly love Jesus. You truly follow him. Why? Because you're not really feeling it, if you're honest. You're not really passionate, if you're honest. There's a fire that's really just went out, and that happens. And it's okay for that to happen, but it's not okay for it to stay that way. We shouldn't get completely discouraged and want to give up because you're there right now, maybe. But, but it should then say, right, this is not the norm. I've got to make some shifts. I've got to change some things. I'm believing some things. I'm spending some time somewhere in some things that are actually putting the fire out. They're deceiving me, and it's bringing in dark places in my heart. It's bringing in dark places in my life. Um, and so I think that's a misconception. Sometimes we think... If we just talk about sin more, we talk about problems. Sometimes you go to a counselor and you just talk about problems. But sometimes talking about a problem doesn't fix the problem. It can actually sometimes make the problem worse. Why? Because talking about a problem doesn't bring a solution. Yes, being aware and analyzing, realizing where the problem is, is the first step. But it's not the last step. It's the first step. We, we, we then need a solution to the problem to fix it. 
But if we're bringing up problems and talking about sin all the time, but we don't have a solution, then the problem is never fixed. Often it can bring up more shame and more guilt, and we actually, the problem gets worse. It gets bigger. We fall into temptation then. You know, I remember um, I was away on a mission trip, and, and we were absolutely starving, not because that's what all mission trips look like, but just because uh, we were on a long journey, and we hadn't ate for a lot. We were traveling to Africa, and, and we hadn't ate for a long time, and we were just so hungry. And, and often what we'd done is, um, is we, we started talking about certain foods that we loved, but the problem was because we didn't have the food in front of us, it didn't make the problem better. It made it worse. Started talking about Chinese's. Started talking about Sunday roasts and all those foods that we loved when we were starving. And all it, it, all it, it done was made us more hungry and it made the problem bigger. Have you ever been one of those moments where you're in a car and you're like, oh, I need to stop. I need to go to the restroom or to the loo. And... and all of a sudden, somebody starts shaking the water bottle, and, and it just the sound of water starts to make it worse. And, and as you start to think about the problem, the problem gets worse. Why? Because you haven't brought a solution to the problem. You've just exposed the problem. So what I'm trying to say is sometimes when we just talk about sin, talk about how sinful we are and sinful you are and how sinful I am, it doesn't fix the problem. It often makes the problem worse because we need a solution to the issue. And it reminds me of Jesus when he was in the desert and he was on a fast, as we are on a fast at church. And, and fast is when you disconnect from some things that you normally have to create space for hunger. And so Jesus is in the wilderness and he's walking around in the wilderness and, and all of a sudden, right when he was hungry, he had been fasting food and when he was hungry, what happened was the devil came and tempted him with what? Bread, with food. He hit him right where it hurt. He tempted him right where he was tempted. But, but Jesus had a response that says, man does not live by bread alone, meaning he was getting fed elsewhere. Meaning that, that his needs were already met, meaning he could, he could be tempted by sin. But the temptation of sin no longer had a grip on him. Why? Because he was being fed elsewhere. He had spiritual, he had been having a spiritual meal elsewhere that meant the physical desires of the flesh no longer held power. So maybe right now we're struggling with some temptation, we're struggling with some dark areas, we're in deception, and the problem isn't trying to read more and have more knowledge. Maybe the solution isn't just coming to church more, isn't just talking about and confessing your sin more. Maybe the solution is being in the presence of God more. Maybe the solution is actually getting some spiritual food into your soul. Maybe the reason in the first place you were hungry is because you weren't feeding your soul. And because your soul is empty, it then looks to your own plans and to your own ways. The problem is they lead to a dark place. They lead to more destruction. They lead to more hunger and more dysfunctionality. But Jesus knew where to get a feed. And I think that's the beauty of what Jesus understood was he knew that his father was a good father. And he knew as he fasted, he wasn't fasting to neglect his body for the sake of just uh, 
pleasing God. He wasn't fasting to um, impress God. Jesus was fasting to align his heart to receive power from God. He was disconnecting from the things of the world, the things of his body, the flesh, so that because he knew he would create space for God to empower him. He knew he would create space for God to speak to him clearly. He knew that, that he was going to get fed another way as he disconnected in the physical. And that's why we're praying and fasting right now. Right now, some of us were discouraged in the natural as we see the news, as we see everything around us. We're, we're, fear is starting to creep in because we're so connected to what we hear in, in, in natural in the natural world we live in, we're so connected to what we're seeing. We're, so con- we're too connected. What if right now in this season we start to disconnect a little bit more and we actually give some room for the goodness of God? See, number two, the goodness of God causes us to connect. It causes us to connect. You know, I was praying this morning before the service, and there's a few of us in here, and really felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me about vulnerability. You think about, you know, when we're being vulnerable, really what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in a position where something could go wrong, but we're willing to take the risk in order to build connection. And when we're vulnerable, that's where we truly connect. But, but I realized the times that I don't connect with God and with people, the things that have got in my way personally is the same old stuff. It's I'm too busy. I'm too busy doing stuff. I'm too busy working. Or I'm not listening. Or I'm not stopping to think. I'm just moving. And, and because that's safer when I'm moving, I don't have to listen. I don't have to connect. I feel safe. But what often happens in those moments is I start to harden. My heart starts to grow harder. I start to become more distant. And I stop connecting less to God and to people. Anytime that I haven't had God's peace in my heart, it's because I've been busy. So the question I have for you today is, is are you busy? When's the last time you openly asked God a question and then you listened? When's the last time you actually stopped to think and ask a question about your personal situation and asked God what he would say, and then listen. So often when we pray, we just mutter stuff, and we, we tell God all the things that we think we need or we, we're afraid of, and then that's it, prayer's over. That's only part of prayer. The most important part of prayer, where the power comes in is when we stop to listen. Where the true power is offloaded into your soul is, is when you stop to think. And you allow the Holy Spirit to come into your thinking and you invite the Holy Spirit to come and move in in the way you think. But often that's the last thing that we want to do because we feel vulnerable. So I want to encourage us, I encourage myself, is that, hey, in this next week, what if we could start to get vulnerable again before God? Or maybe vulnerable again before some people that we've lost connection with? Because that's how... The power of God and and how we as humans work best. When we disconnect from busyness, from just moving, from just drifting through. How many people 
on this earth today are just drifting through life busy. You know, what happens in big cities is people get into this rat race, as they call it, and, and they just, they're trying to climb the ladder. And what are they? Busy. Before they know it, they're 30, they're 40, they're 50, and they've nearly lived most of their working life, their whole working life, just busy working for a company that tries to make money. And, and, and what about family? Have you spent time with family? What about the people that you really care about and you really love? Have you been present? When I'm busy, I'm not present. I'm task-oriented. I don't know how anyone's doing when I'm busy. I don't know any, what's going on in anyone's heart when I'm busy. I don't know really what's going on in my own heart when I'm busy because I'm just doing, doing, doing. Jesus took time out where? Away from everyone. In the desert, he disconnected from the world so he could connect to God in prayer to realign his heart. It's the way as humans we're designed to live with a full heart, vulnerable before God and before people, fully trusting in God and allowing God to lead us as we move on the earth. And it's interesting when we talk about religion or maybe some of you think of church this way where it's just going through the motions. Really, when it boils down to it, when we talk about religion in that way, really, all that really is is a system. We're not vulnerable. You can come in and out. Here's the problem. People are coming in and out of a church building or, or some kind of environment which represents Jesus, and they're not encountering Jesus. They're encountering religion. They're encountering a service. They're encountering an hour. They're encountering a bunch of people rubbing shoulders on the surface. They're not encountering Jesus. Why? Because we're not getting vulnerable. We're just going through motions. We're, we're just ticking boxes, but, but Jesus didn't come for that church. He came for a, Jesus, for a church that would encounter him beneath the surface, a church of people that would actually get vulnerable and be honest with him and speak um, the truth to their heavenly father and they would actually build a relationship of trust and where the Holy Spirit would speak and guide and, 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 and give next steps and they would actually obey and follow. That's the church that Jesus died for. That's the church that Jesus came to fill uh, with full, full of potential, full of his heart, full of his strength for purpose to actually get something done on the earth, to build something significant. But it can't happen unless the, he finds a vulnerable church, unless he finds a church that's willing to throw out what people think about them and chase after him and trust him above the opinions of others. That's the church that Jesus came for. And that's the church that thrives and that's the church that sees true life change in their own lives and the people around them. That's the church that becomes contagious. That's the church that's described to be like a fire. That's the church that's alive. That's the church that's a passionate follower, a, an enthusiastic follower. That's the, the church that's just like my friend who's a pastor, but he's also passionate about his football team. And I didn't have to ask him much before he shared the church that shares, the church that's alive is a church that's just connected to the heart of the Father. And they understand that He's a good Father. And it's the goodness of God, the revelation of His goodness that will change us. Can I get an amen? 
I'm not lost, don't worry. It says Matthew 6 and 9. Let's, let's just focus on this for a second. It says, this is something a lot of us have probably prayed in our, in our schools, in our homes. It's, it, it's so easy to become a systematic prayer. And it goes, our Father who is in heaven, come on, follow along if you know it, hallowed be your name. It goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm hungry. I need bread to fill my soul. But, but I want to focus on the start of this. How do we own our day? How do we fill our soul? How do we disconnect from our earthly uh, thoughts, our sinful thoughts, and, and realign at the start of every day? Is what I'm going to encourage you to start with our Father. That prayer starts with our Father. See, a father, a good father, ha has the best interests of his kids at stake. A good father will, will actually stand in the gap. If, if a kid is in danger, will put, his, put himself in line. A good father will do whatever it takes to protect, to provide, to push forward a child in his best interests. A good father can be trusted. What if you started your day understanding that, hey, our Father, my Father in heaven. God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you're with me. I thank you that I can cast my cares upon you. You're a Father to me. You've taken me as your own. You've bought me at a price. You're my Father. And then it goes on to say, who is in heaven? What does heaven represent? It represents the greatness of God. It represent, represents that God is in heaven and he overlooks everything. On today, on the earth, God is in heaven on a throne, and he's not surprised. He's not surprised at the state of the world. He's not surprised at the state of politics. He's not surprised at the state of our finances. He's not surprised at the state of our soul. And he's great. And he lives on the inside of us if you invite him in and let him become Lord. And so if he's your father, his greatness is also available to you. And that means that whatever scenario you're in, his greatness is there with you if you bring invited in. And then it goes on to say, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means glory to your name. That means no matter what happens, God, the bigger picture lands with you. No matter what happens on this earth, no matter how long I live, the bigger picture lands with you. God, that means that, that I'm surrendering to your heart, to your will. God, even if things are hard, I'm going to go with you on the journey. Even if I, if I lose my life, I'm with you. Even if it comes at a cost, I'm with you because I realize you give me breath and you define life and death. You are the beginning and the end and no matter what happens, it doesn't happen outside of your plan, outside of your will. And that frees me to be alive. And that frees me to live full. And that frees me to stop fearing the future and the present. That frees me to actually make a difference. When I let go of trying to make life work for myself, trying to make the world the way I want it to be, and I say, God, hallowed be your name. You know exactly what's happening right now. And, and God... Even those loved ones 
that I care so much about, hallowed be your name, God. Even those family members, maybe someone passed away, hallowed be your name. I don't know where they are in eternity right now. Hallowed be your name, Father. What am I saying? I'm saying, listen, God, I'm submitting and surrendering to the idea and the truth that you love the people I love more than I do. You love the people that are lost right now more than I do. Maybe you're saying your, your son or your daughter. Or maybe you're saying your, your father or your grandparents. Let's hallowed be your name. Have your way, Father. I'm available. Use me. But you love them more than I do. And I remember coming to a place in my life where I said, listen, God, I really believe you've simplified it to this point where I'm called to love. That's, that's my lane. That's all I can do. I'm called to love. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and God, you're the judge. And I know as a father and a creator, you love people more than I do. And there's some people I love a lot. God, you even love my enemies. What if we could understand that at the start of every day, our daily bread, we started eating spiritually. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know how free our soul would be? Do you know how much passion might be able to well up on the inside of us if we could actually free ourselves from the chains of slavery that the world puts on us, that our own viewpoints, that our own ideas put on us? What if we just released them at the start of every day? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. To the goodness of God, to the greatness of God, to the glory of God. I guarantee it would change how we live you see, number three, owning, our, owning your morning by remembering the goodness, greatness, and glory of God. One of the things I struggled with was, was maybe when I was fired up and I was a wee bit younger, I, I was always trying to maybe pray about stuff, but I was nearly trying to make God do what I wanted Him to do. I was trying to pray my will into existence. Has anyone been there? And the problem is, is it started to stress me out. I was nearly more anxious because I was trying to pray. I was doing a religious systematic act, but I wasn't free. It wasn't hallowed be your name. It wasn't to your name be the, it was to my name be the glory. It was to my will be done. And, and, and what I realized as I've went through life a few times and things didn't work out, things didn't work out the way I wanted them to or expected them to, I realized that any, with God, anything is possible. I used to always to think anything is possible, and that scripture was a good scripture for like name and claim it. It was like, oh, I want this to happen in God's name, in Jesus' name be done. And sometimes, you know, for, for nothing is impossible with God, meaning I'm in with a chance. You remember that scenario where Dumb and Dumber are kind of talking to each other, you know, the apostle Dumb and Dumber, uh, um, and they're talking to each other, and he's asking this girl if she, he's got a chance um, to be in relationship with her. And, and, and he's like, out of a million, like, is it, I'm a, I'm a one, is it one in a million? And she's like, yeah, it's one in a million. And he's like, so you're telling me there's a chance. And sometimes that's what we're like in our lives. We're just looking for a small chance to make our will come to pass. But I want to tell you this morning that with God, anything is possible. What does that mean? It means when your plans, when that thing that you want to happen doesn't work out, 
anything is possible. It means that when it doesn't work out, it's still possible. It means when your plan fails, it's still possible. Actually, you know what I've come to realize in life? That sometimes your second choice is your best choice. Sometimes the, the things that we're attracted to initially, whether it be a thing, a car, whether it be a house, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a job, it's just a thing. It's just a thing. And anything is possible with God. But the problem is sometimes the thing is not the thing that you first chose. Sometimes it's not your first choice because God sees things that we do not see. He sees beyond time. He sees the fast forward version of yourself. So hey, thank God we didn't get our first choice. Thank God he didn't give us what we wanted. Thank God he works all things out for our good. Thank God even when we do make the wrong move, he can recover and restore us to our best. And this is another verse that so, so often we use, Philippians 4 and 13. I can do all things through Christ. Yet again, another scripture that sometimes we use when we're trying to get something that we want. But if we, 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 we look at that in context, we're talking about a Paul who was shipwrecked. And he's saying to himself, this is awful. This is a brutal situation. I'm swimming to safety on this island. I, I, what is the future holding? I have no clue, but I can do all things through Christ. This is not the thing that I had planned for. This is not the thing I, I felt God had led me to, but here I'm here. I'm here anyhow, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Often that scripture is better for moments where the thing that you wanted didn't work out. Often that scripture is great for a time where you're long suffering. Right now we're in a season on the earth. It's crazy to even say that, isn't it? It's not just us in, in Northern Ireland, in the South or North, in the UK. It's actually in the world today. We're in a season of unknown. It's like Paul on that island. What's next? I don't know. But maybe this is a good time for I can do all things. Well, if you spoke that yourself every morning this week, I can do all things. No matter what happens, I can do it through Christ. He gives me strength. He is my daily bread. He is the very thing that my soul desires, wants, and needs. I can do all things. As the band come ahead on up. You know, maybe you're sitting watching today and listen, I, I understand that fear is absolutely growing. In a natural way, it is growing as we hear stories and you hear bad reports and all that stuff. And we've got to be real, we've got to be honest, and we've got to see those things and, and be aware of, of danger if it's there. But then there comes a time where we've got a question, how connected do I want to be to fear? How connected do I want to be to having a vision where I'm trying to hold on to my life instead of letting it go? How connected do I want to be to my own will and trying to control situations and scenarios? Is that going to work for me? Is that God's best for me? Or what if I started to learn the Lord's Prayer in which Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, 
Go read it for yourself in, in verses nine. Our Father, God, I'm afraid right now. My flesh cries out. It doesn't feel good. But God, I can disconnect from trying to father myself or trying to look to earthly supply. And I remember that you're my earthly, you're, you're my heavenly father. And that you are a good father and it's the goodness of God that leads me to turn around. And that God, that you're in heaven. You're not surprised by what's happening right now. You're not surprised by what's going on in the earth. You're in heaven. And I remind myself of that right now and I take the grip of fear and, and I get, gain a perspective of faith so I can continue to function and continue to move. And, and Lord, best of all, hallowed be your name. I'm not living for myself any longer. I'm not living for my own name. I'm not living to try and please people. Hallowed be your name. I'm safe in your arms. I'm living for your cause. I'm giving my life away. And so that takes away the fear of an end, the fear of dying. Because I've put my cares, I've put my life back into God's hands. And listen, if I'm dead in the flesh, you can't hurt a dead man. <laughs> if, if I'm dead in the flesh, you can't hurt a dead man. If I'm dead, if the, if the grip that I have is, has died with, with Christ, you can't hurt me anymore. Hallowed be your name. So let's pray. I'm gonna pray for some people. There's maybe some people in here and you're feeling fear. I'm gonna ask God right now to release that fear as we align with his heart as our father, as a good father, that his goodness would release us in these moments as we experience his passion and his love and his freedom right now. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you that you're good. We thank you that you're our Father and you are in heaven. Hallowed be your name, Father. God, we thank you that we give up our lives. God, I pray for all those people experiencing fear, anxiety, mental health problems with COVID, any kind of disease heart conditions. God, we pray your healing hands upon them right now, that you're their father, that you're in heaven. You can make a difference, but even if you don't, eternity is in your hands. Hallowed be your name. Come on, let's worship. enjoyed the podcast today if you did there's just a few things i'd like you to do subscribe to our podcast so the most recent message will always be in your feed secondly if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others 
you can go onto our website at ariatchurch.org and give now. And we will see you next time on the Ariat Church Podcast. Thank you.